United Soccer Coaches is proud to present the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. That's right, the NSCAA is now United Soccer Coaches. We aren't changing who we are, just what you call us. We unite coaches at every level of the game around the passion of the game. Now, Here's our host, Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky. So great to be with each and every one of you. And if you're like me, you've got World Cup fever, enjoying what's going on over in Russia, and perhaps just as excited about what's going to happen in 2026. The United bid awarded by FIFA to the United States, Mexico, and Canada. Your host for the 2026 World Cup. We'll talk about that with the president of United Soccer Coaches, Leslie Gallimore, as well as Steve Goff, covering World Cups now seven times. He's over in Russia. He'll talk about what he's seeing, particularly in Moscow, and also what he expects in 2026. Now, as you know, the United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by TeamSnap. They do amazing work, and they also try to make sure that the playing field is fair. Dave DuPont, the founder and CEO of TeamSnap, nearly nine years ago, will be on to talk open standards and everything that's going on with TeamSnap. They are a great supporter, of course, of this podcast, and they are great for soccer clubs throughout the country. Okay, Leslie Gallimore, Steve Goff, Dave DuPont, and it starts after this message from our sponsor, TeamSnap. Let's go. Still managing your club or league on paper and spreadsheets? Go paperless with TeamSnap. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, they have way fewer paper cuts. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with TeamSnap. Go to TeamSnap.com United. Once again, here's Dean Linky. Upon the announcement from FIFA that North America would be the host for the 2026 World Cup, the following statement from United Soccer Coaches President Leslie Gallimore was released, and I quote, As coaches, we couldn't be more excited with the announcement of the United bid of Canada, Mexico, and the USA as host for the 2026 World Cup. It will be a continental soccer party, the likes of which has never been seen before. For the U.S., we have a special opportunity, a chance to come together as a soccer nation and celebrate all levels of the game in our country. This unique moment in history has been made possible in part by the tens of thousands of coaches at the youth, high school, and college levels over the decades, passing along their love of the game to their players. Today, let's commit to uniting around the love of the game. It will just make us stronger. And with that, our perfect first guest is, in fact, Leslie Gallimore, the president of United Soccer Coaches. You heard her statement. She joins us now. Leslie, thanks for being with us. You're welcome. Good to hear from you, Dean. The World Cup coming back to North America in 2026. We just heard your statement, but tell us in your own words how you feel about it. Well, one, I'm excited because I you know, I have great memories of it being here before, both the men's and the women's. And, uh, you know, I, I know for our country to... Uh, one, unite with Canada and Mexico to me is uh, is really, really important that we're able to get the joint bid. And I think it's great for um, all three countries and for North America. And two, the state of our men's national team and all the hoopla surrounding us not qualifying this last time, uh, it's a perfect catalyst for us to get, you know, back on the right foot as far as our men's program is concerned with a new coach, a new GM, and uh, to get things right. Well, and the other thing the World Cup does, uh, and you, we look around, we see so many people that are proof positive of it, is it creates new careers for people as well, and they go on to have great success. You've witnessed that, Leslie. I have. You know, I just, I, I think that this, uh, 
this is an opportunity, one, for, you know, when U.S. soccer says that they want soccer to be the preeminent sport in this country and that that's their mission and that's their goal, this is a great first step. And uh, it's not just about the players. It's not just about the development academies and making sure that we have uh, the talent and the ability to, to win championships, but it's more importantly about creating fans and people that are in the game in other aspects and just playing that are in it for life. How do you explain the fact that over in Russia right now that U.S. fans are over there in droves and the U.S. team isn't even there? That's a pretty big statement for how big soccer is in this country, right? It's a huge statement, and I've, you know, I've been all around the country uh, since the World Cup started in, uh, you know, a few weeks ago even. I, I was on the East Coast, and I've been here in Seattle and, <clears throat> and just, you know, walking around with the general public and in pubs and uh, out on the street when a game is going on or up in the morning at the grocery store and just to hear the average you know, American talking about it is it's impressive and I think we underestimate how popular the sport is in this country and so I think that it's you know it's a huge testament to uh, our love of the game uh, when you do look over in Russia and see the number of fans uh, that have traveled to to just follow the sport because they love the sport. Finally hit it already about the United bid of course NSCA making the change almost two years ago now to United soccer coaches it all works for you right Leslie? Yeah it's just it's played right into our hands <laughs> but I would say that I, I think that we're sincere and, and genuine when we say that uh, we're in it for the love of the game and for uniting coaches um, of, at all levels and fans and uh, and people you know in this country around uh, the game that that really is the world's game and I think this bid is uh, you know kind of the culmination of that and the epitome of that and a lot of hard work has gone in by a lot of hot a lot of people to get it done so we're excited to see that it worked out great way to start the show leslie gallimore the president of united soccer coaches coming up from russia steve goff longtime beat writer for the washington post and then dave dupont ceo of team snap leslie thanks for kicking the show off do appreciate it all the best dean and uh, let the games continue indeed the games continue and our united soccer coaches podcast presented by team snap continues with steve goff longtime beat writer for soccer in this country for the washington post he's in russia and he joins me next. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to our United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. I want to thank Leslie Gallimore for kicking it off. All excited about the United bid, the World Cup returning here in 2026. You also heard her talk about how many U.S. fans are over in Russia right now following the World Cup that is going on without the U.S. men's national team. One man who is there now for another World Cup. He has been a key beat writer for the Washington Post covering soccer for 30 years, and he's a return guest to our United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. He's in Moscow right now. That's right. And it's Steve Goff. Steve, thanks for being with us. Great to join you, Dean. Yeah, Steve, obviously this is going to air on Thursday, so that means uh, you told me that uh, earlier in the week you're going to see Argentina and Nigeria, Brazil, Serbia, and then uh, you've got a day off on Friday after this airs. Talk about uh, what you've seen so far in Russia. Have they been up for hosting the World Cup? Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pretty good show put on by Russia. Um, I've been mostly in Moscow, uh, so my my perspective is almost solely from 
from the capital city, from a very uh, very metropolitan, cosmopolitan uh, city here, and uh, it's been fun. There's a lot of a lot of supporters from around the world, but surprisingly, uh, it's amazing how many Peruvians, Colombians, Mexican supporters are here. Uh, they they seem to outnumber the European supporters. It's been an impressive show, and uh, obviously there are a lot of Americans who bought tickets um, without the U.S. team here. <laughs> You know, these are these are fans of other countries, uh, particularly Mexico, but the other Latin countries, and I'm sure some European and Asian African nations as well. So it's a good scene. The World Cup's always a great party, no matter where it is. Moscow, uh, Johannesburg, uh, Rio de Janeiro, it doesn't matter. It's always a good scene, and Russia has uh, Russia's kept up that tradition. It sounds like then logistically no issues, no hooligans, none of the things that we thought might happen. Have you seen any of that or heard about any of that? No, not really. Uh, I mean, security has been beefed up without question, as it always is for the World Cup. Uh, Russia, you, you know, you don't mess with, you don't mess with the police, you don't mess with the military. I think people are aware of that. Um, I think they've shipped many of the hooligans out of town, so they're not even around. <laughs> even if they were, they can't afford to get into these games. Um, I, you know, I don't, I haven't heard of any major incidents. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, well, so. So far, so good. Um, well, pretty par for the course in terms of fan behavior. Yeah, so far, so good for Mexico, by the way, which a lot of pundits are saying they might be one of the top four teams in this World Cup, where we've also seen some outstanding play from other countries. You've seen Mexico up close. How good are they? Uh, Mexico is very good at playing with a lot of energy, a lot of heart, cohesion. Uh, they're dangerous on the flanks. There's a real, there's a real spirit to this team. You know, they won the first two games, but interestingly, because of this group, um, it, it's been a challenge. And, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's an entertaining team. Um, Osorio's had them playing well. And uh, maybe this is the year. They finally get past the round of 16. That's, that's usually the uh, exit ramp for Mexico. Last time I had you on, we were talking about, you know, the departure of Bruce Arena, who you've covered for so many years. And, and uh, I'll tell you what, Bruce Arena wasn't nearly under the kind of pressure and scrutiny that Juan Carlos Osorio was. And coming into the World Cup, they looked meager. And now they're rallying around the coach. How do you explain that? Yeah, no, it, it, I think the players bought into it. I think the fans, the public, were very cool of Osorio. I think the you know first two games, at least, he won them over. And we'll see how long this continues. Good for CONCACAF in a year in which the U.S. didn't make it. Uh, Panama was, was out of its out of its league being here and, you know, good experience, but obviously the performances were disappointing. Um, and, you know, Costa Rica was, to really no one's surprise, wasn't able to follow up on their quarterfinal run four years ago. So now Mexico's carrying the CONCACAF flag. What's been the general kind of feeling is about the U.S. not being there? I mean, also Italy's not there, the Netherlands aren't there, but what's been your feeling about the U.S. not being in this World Cup? Well, in terms of fans here, yeah, I don't think the I don't think the Russians care that much if the U.S. is in the air. Um, certainly would have made would have led to more ticket sales. Uh, so that that was a result of the U.S. failing to buy. Um, and uh, you know, there's some ridicule certainly from from Mexican fans and uh, some of the Europeans, especially it was you know. Lose to the surface when you saw the performance of Panama, which finished you know two places ahead of the U.S. in qualifying. 
So, um, yeah, no, it's something embarrassing, but like you said, Italy's not here either. Netherlands, Chile, Ghana, Cameroon. Yeah, it it happens. Frankly, I think it's an anomaly. And, um, you know, the U.S. will be back, back on their feet. We came on the air uh, hearing from Leslie Gallimore, who was thrilled about the United bid. Of course, she's the president of United Soccer Coaches and longtime head coach for the Washington women's soccer team. Yeah, out in Seattle, and Steve Goff, you were there to witness it firsthand back in 1994. That's when we first met in the early 90s covering the U.S. men's national team. You have, like I asked Leslie, witnessed firsthand the emergence of so many professionals that have gone on to do great things, you know, within the game, outside of the game, covering the game, corporate side of the game, and, and so much more. That is a key part of what's going to happen again in 2026. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is... Uh the next big step, um, you know, 94 was an introduction to international soccer for a generation. Um, yeah, over the last 25 years, people have, have grown up with international soccer because of the availability of it, the greater appreciation and knowledge. And, uh, yeah, a World Cup in the U.S. along with Mexico and Canada is, gonna, is going to be uh, transformative in a different way than 94 was, I think, um, yeah, you're going to have the sellout crowds in the great stadiums, um, and uh, you're going to turn on, um, turn on more people to the game, to the game at the highest level. Um, not only when it's eight years, but I think in, in the build-up to it as well. I, I think people are more aware of it. They, they love the idea of going to a World Cup game, watching it on home soil. Um, it's, uh, it's not just about 2026. I think it's in the years before, and certainly the years after. Why do you think this time around they decided, because they certainly proved in 94 it's still the most successful World Cup ever based on stadium attendance. Why do you think it was important to add in Mexico and Canada, Steve? Uh, well, certainly the U.S. could have hosted this by themselves. Um, they felt as though a United bid would be stronger. Um, you can't. Uh, you can't gloss over the fact that U.S. popularity around the world has dropped. And if this was solely a U.S. bid, there might have been voters out there who said, yeah, the U.S. is great and everything, but I don't know. We don't know if we want an, uh, an American World Cup. Yeah. Uh, this diversifies it uh, to some extent, even though you know the U.S. is going to host 60 of the 80 games. Um, and... Uh, you know, this is this is going to be the trend, I think, too, going forward, because the tournament's going to become so large with 48 teams that, you know, uh, countries countries are going to have to partner um, in order to make legitimate bids to host a World Cup. Uh, you know, it's just gotten too big, and uh, you know, this this is this I think will be a model for uh, future bids and uh, and future tournaments. When you're handing out trophies to the four or five key people that made this happen as part of this United bid, you're kind of in the middle of it. Are there key players that come to mind that were instrumental in bringing the World Cup back to North America? Well, the three Federation presidents um, from the countries involved traveled around the world meeting with uh, association presidents and making their case. And it made a big, big difference. Another person who I think played an important role was Robert Kraft owner of the NFL's New England Patriots. Uh, he was the connection to the White House. 
Um, you're not going to get a World Cup without federal government backing and assurances. Kraft is a Trump supporter. He, he had a, a communication lines to the White House, and I think he, he pushed it forward to get uh, the, the Trump administration to not, you know, not only come out um, and support it publicly, but make those promises that, you know, fans will be able to come and visit with the proper visas, that the federal government will, you know, secure a promise uh, security and uh, everything else needed to, you know, put on a big event. So I think Bob Kraft deserves a lot of credit. And along those lines, I think it's pretty safe to assume that uh, Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Mass. is going to be one of the uh, one of the World Cup venues in 2026. Yeah, what what else can you tell us about where you think the venues will be? Uh, your inside information on venues. You know, we've heard already New York for the final. What other venues are you hearing? Yeah, I, I think um, I imagine the final will be in New York or LA. LA is building a new NFL stadium. It's going to be spectacular. Uh, so New York and LA are in. Mexico City's in. As a, you know, as a Dallas at the Cowboys Stadium, um, at Atlanta. Uh, Miami, Gillette, Boston, um, Washington, presumably, FedEx Field. There could be a new stadium going up, going up in D.C. over the next few years. I think Seattle's going to get in. I think Houston has a good shot with their retractable roof. Um, what about Chicago? You know, it's a huge uh, media market that I haven't heard mentioned yet. Chicago is not even in the running. Um, Chicago withdrew from consideration because of the guarantees they had to give FIFA. They didn't like it. Chicago pulled out. Vancouver pulled out. Those are two major cities that probably would have hosted games, but they didn't like the conditions. Okay. Um, you know, there's, I think, a dark horse in there is maybe a city like Nashville. You know, if people wants to go to a smaller, different market, an entertainment center, you know, maybe Nashville gets in. I don't know. Um, Philadelphia's problem is that it's stuck between New York and D.C. Um Plus, you got Boston in the Northeast. Baltimore's problem is it's close to D.C., um, so that becomes an issue. Uh, you know, Orlando hosted games in 1994. They're in the running. But if Miami has a strong case, I, you know, maybe Orlando doesn't make it this time. Uh, San Francisco, the Bay Area, a uh, strong candidate, obviously. Mexico has three cities up for consideration, and they'll probably get all three. The others, it's Mexico City, Monterey, and Guadalajara. Canada will get two or three. Uh, it's Toronto, Montreal, and Edmonton. Um, and then, you know, you got to figure it out. So the U.S. will get 10 or 11 venues. And then Mexico, probably three. Canada, probably two or three. All right. Even before 2026, I asked you this the last time when we talked about Bruce Arena's departure. Who is going to be the head coach for the USA for qualifications for this upcoming World Cup? I got no idea. Come on, I, Steve. Ernie Stewart. I got no idea. Ernie Stewart's going through the process now. I mean, I think he's going to cast a global uh, net and see what he can find. Obviously, he has a lot of strong connections um, in the Netherlands and throughout Europe. He'll take into consideration U.S. candidates as well, whether it's, you know, a, a youth coach like Tab Ramos or MLS guys like Berhalter, uh, Vermees. Um, I think Juan Carlos Osorio will be in the mix if he doesn't stay with Mexico. 
Um, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We probably won't get a decision for a couple more months. So. All right. Back in Russia, where you are right now in Moscow, we talked about uh, maybe Mexico getting out of the round of 16 this time around. Who will be the two teams playing for the World Cup title? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I don't have the bracket in front of me, so I couldn't tell you the potential matchups. Um, right now, I would say I would say Brazil's probably the favorite. Um, the Belgians look awfully good. Uh, you know, you got Mexico as a dark horse in there. Um, you know, we're still trying to get a feel for France um, as well as Spain. And I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. I think there's uh, I think there's several teams that could win it this time around. All right, Steve Goff. How much fun do you have covering these World Cups? Is it something you always look forward to? Uh, I do look forward to it. It's um, it's a grind. Um, it's five weeks away from home, and you know it's it's hard. There's there's there are language barriers, there are cultural barriers. Uh, it's a big financial burden on my employer. Um, you know, it's it's fun. I wish it were maybe three or four weeks, <laughs> not five plus weeks being here. But um, you know what? This is the job. I'm not going to complain. Uh, there's a lot of happy people all around, and, um, you know, it's the World Cup, man. Now, what about the rumors that, in fact, North America could host the World Cup even four years earlier because of some of the concerns about Qatar hosting, particularly hosting in the middle of the winter, I guess you could say? No. Qatar's going to host. I don't, you know, unless there's some major catastrophe, um, you know, a a war. um, I, I just think it's, it's, they're they're too far along, and um, you know we're going to have a World Cup in the Middle East in in the winter when it's a little bit cooler. And you know, while I you know while I, it's hard to look past all the issues that led to Qatar getting the World Cup. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I, I I like the idea of a very compact World Cup where maybe you can see two games in one day where you can stay in one place and not have to move around to different cities and change hotels and get on airplanes and trains all the time. I think there's some, you know, there's, there's certainly an appeal there for media and for fans um, to, to, to play a World Cup in, in, a, in a small, compact place. Um, and it's different. I mean, we, you know, uh, we're always going to have World Cups in Europe. We're going to have them occasionally in South America. Obviously, we're going to see one in South America in eight years. Uh, but the Middle East, you know, it, it's, it's going to be different. And uh, I think it's, it's going to be an adventure. Knowing that you've covered Major League Soccer for just as long as it's been in existence, as it launched in 1996, when you look at its growth right now and today, I mean, certainly when they were making the decision finally to get the World Cup back here, that had to also play an enormous role, right? Because some of the teams are just doing amazing, right? Yeah, no, I, mean, I think that MLS is well-established and has grown um, and has helped the soccer culture and the soccer business in the United States um, with the World Cup you know, to some extent. I mean, you can't just look at the U.S. anymore and say, there's no soccer there. Why would we ever go there? There's soccer here, you know. There's a, there's a, there's a league with, you know, about two dozen teams and, and uh, soccer-specific stadiums and uh, real passion, um, 
in, in many markets of the country. There's a women's league. Um, there are regular appearances by major clubs and uh, national teams. So, you know, soccer is part of the sports landscape in America. It's not as big as in um, most of the traditional countries, but it's but it's here and it's growing. It'll continue to grow, and I think you'll see. Uh, I think you'll see the country embrace. Uh, embrace the World Cup. Well beyond 94. Well beyond 94. What, Wayne Rooney, is he coming to D.C. United, yes or no? Probably. <laughs> What's taking so long? <laughs> uh, they're, you know, they're, work, they're working out things. Uh, he's not eligible till mid-July anyway, so I think part of it is Everton's trying to get as much money for him as they can. Um, and D.C. is not ready to to settle on a on a price because they know uh, uh, there's not the urgency to, to get him on the field right away because he's, he's just not eligible for, for a few more weeks. Even in Moscow, could spend all day with Steve Goff. He knows everything you need to know about the World Cup in Russia, the World Cup coming in 2026. And Steve, always a pleasure. Thanks for being on the show this week. Yeah, man, my pleasure. Anytime. Anytime is a good time with Steve Goff. If you've not read his work, check him out at the Washington Post. He is fantastic covering soccer in North America and around the world. All right. You're listening to United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Team Snap does such amazing work helping soccer organizations all over the country and even more. Dave DuPont, their CEO and founder about nine years ago, joins me next including talking about open standards. I think you'll find it interesting. Stay with us. By being a member of the United Soccer Coaches, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find coaches who are passionate about bettering themselves and their players. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org to find out more. Now, once again, here's our host, Dean Linky. And we welcome you back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. That's right. How many times have you heard me say Team Snap? And how many times have you heard me say great things about Team Snap? We love what they do, and we love their support of this podcast. We are joined by their founder and CEO, his first visit with us. And we're so glad to welcome in Dave DuPont, the Team Snap founder and CEO, nine years ago now. Dave, who got his mechanical engineering degree from Cornell University and then his MBA from Harvard, has done amazing things in his life. Dave, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Dane. Quick update on what's going on with TeamSnap right now, if you can. Sure. So, first of all, uh, to, to let people know what TeamSnap does, we, we provide uh, software that clubs, teams, associations, and leagues use to communicate and manage their activities. So about, at this time, 20 million people around the world use us to make life easier. So specifically, how do we help soccer clubs, leagues, and organizations, Dave? So think of us as a communication and coordination tool. I was telling somebody a little bit earlier, a few years ago, people were keeping track of schedules and also players via spreadsheets and paper. People were collecting money. Organizations were collecting money via check and actual cash. And they were communicating via phone, phone trees, email distribution lists. And we've simplified all that. We've made life easier for everyone connected with sports organizations. Now, you already said some numbers, but I'm going to ask you to dig deeper in that. How many sports organizations and teams are using TeamSnap right now? 
this point, more than a million and a half organizations are using TeamSnap. Wow, a million and a half. I mean, talk about the growth over the nine years. Like, when was your big peak year where you just you were climbing that ladder? That's a great question, Dean. We have just grown steadily from the beginning of the company. It's been uh, not very much different every single year in terms of the percentage growth. There hasn't been a period when we suddenly saw a hockey stick. It was more, uh, we started with a decent amount and just kept growing every single year. That means it's a good As business. more and more people found out about the benefits of using our solution. I, I should mention that, uh, I, I, that you know, I said we automate activities. And that sounds like a you know, typical computer guy way of explaining things. But I should emphasize that the reason that we've been successful is because we realize that we are providing computer tools to ordinary people. And that if we were going to be successful, they had to be really, really easy to use, simple and intuitive. And that's been the key to our success, ease well, of use. Obviously, you've got your hand on the heartbeat of technology in youth sports. What's happening with the evolving role of technology in youth sports? I've been in the tech world for a long time before even founding Team Snap. And I realize that a lot of the processes and tools and capabilities that we were using in the tech world had not yet made their way into sports. And that's been happening with a vengeance over the last 10 years. We at TeamSnap have been focused on communication and coordination, but you're starting to see technology in many ways start to be utilized in sports. For instance, uh, to keep track of scores, that's another uh, application of technology, to record events through video, for instance. That's another application of technology. There's a whole host of uh, different technological approaches to recording and helping athletes improve their performance. And I think you'll see that trend accelerate in the coming years. And how is it affecting the sport positively or negatively, Dave? Technology is a tool, and it can be used for, as we've seen in many other arenas, good or bad. I think, on balance, it's good, though, because technology allows people and organizations to focus on the sport rather than on the administration. And what I mean by that is, up until recently, coaches had to spend a lot of time making sure that everybody understood the schedule, for instance or people knew what they were supposed to bring to the next game. I had a coach tell me a few years ago, right around the time that I was starting up TeamSnap, that a coach told him that if he made a change in the practice time of his little girl's soccer team, he felt obliged to call every parent to make sure that they got the information. And none of those phone calls was a quick hey, the practice starts at this time instead of that time because the parents also wanted to talk about the performance of their kids. So every conversation was a half hour. If you multiply that by 13, you get a feel for the kind of time commitment that a coach in those days had to commit just to a, uh, a schedule change. With TeamSnap, all somebody does is change the schedule and everyone's automatically notified in many different ways so the coach can feel... Uh, confident that the change has been made. And that's just one example and a team staff example, but there are others with other tools. That's just one example of how technology makes people's lives easier. 
coaches and everybody involved in sport can spend more time on the sport and less time on the administrative grunt work. All right, let's dig deeper into kind of a key issue, and we'll start it by asking this question. You know, even at United Soccer Coaches, we often receive questions and comments from our members about the move by governing bodies to mandate one platform, Dave. How is this helping or hurting the sport and the way organizations run and manage their respective clubs and organizations? Well, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, if you have a consistent way to transmit data from different levels of organizations, then on balance that's good for, for customers, it's good for administrators, it's good for coaches. What do I mean by that? Let me give you a couple of examples. If when the administrator of a league changes the game schedule and that change is automatically reflected in whatever tool individuals on teams are using to keep up the speed, that's a positive thing. Another example, if you register your kid for the beginning of a season at a local club, and if the information you registered allows that club to place your child on a team, to set up a team electronically, and then to have that roster reflected in the coach's individual instance of his team, the software he uses to manage and communicate to his team, then that's a good. The coach doesn't have to punch in the roster himself, nor do the parents or players, if we're talking about uh, an adult team, have to enter their, their contact information. It's already there. So that's another benefit of a system in which data can flow from one layer to another. But the potential downside is a single system, a single system that doesn't, uh, a single closed system doesn't allow competition. And that means that a particular organization can be locked into a particular solution. That's not good for anyone because it means that they can't take advantage of competitive solutions that might be better. So on the one hand, a system permits data to flow across levels or at least has the promise of flowing across levels if they're integrated effectively. But without competition, you can end up in a situation where the organization and everyone in it is stuck using an old agent platform. And we see this all around us today. Well, and that leads us, as we're so pleased to be joined by Dave DuPont, the founder and CEO of Team Snap. This is the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap to these two words, open standards, which besides getting to know you better, Dave, which was a key part of it, open standards was one of the key reasons we wanted to bring you on. So tell us about open standards. You have the floor. Explain it. Talk to us. So open standards is a term that's very common in technology. It's one of those buzzwords that uh, people talk about. Let me, let me explain what it is. It, it's simply, think of it as a language. Uh, computers talk to each other using, uh, and, and transmit data back and forth using, um, using languages. When I was referring earlier to a closed system, what I meant by that is computers talking to each other using a language that is only known to those who are those computers or those who are using that particular software. An example of this would be actually an example that we all uh, might know of is Apple. Apple is a closed system today. You have to, uh, if you're going to work with Apple computers, you have to use their tools. You can't buy an Apple compatible. PC. You buy a Mac and that's it. It's made by Apple. And if you want to work with that system, you have to develop software that works with that system and that system only. That's a closed system. 
An example of an open system is more the Unix world, which um, a lot of computers use today. Um, in that world, you can interchange data amongst different uh, computers and amongst different platforms. So when we talk about open standards in sports, that's what we're talking about. It creates the best of both worlds, potentially. So I referred earlier to technology is good in that it automates activities and tasks and, and frees people up to, uh, to focus on the sports themselves. And that can be enhanced if you allow competition through open standards. In other words, uh, I can tell you that uh, other companies in the sports arena have closed systems. In other words, you buy um, their software at the club and league level, you're obliged to use their team software, you're obliged to use uh, software that connects only to their system. We believe at TeamSnap that an open solution is better for customers because it encourages or it allows competition. As a user, and this is maybe getting to the heart of it, as a user, as an administrator of a club or a league, you can at any time take all of your data, your website, all the information about the people on your platform, and transfer them to another provider of software services in the industry because that data is of a standard format. That's the advantage of open systems. So what it means is if, um, if TeamSnap is doing a great job, then you can keep them if you wish, but if it isn't, then you can easily take your, your data and use somebody else's system. So from the, from the customer point of view, it forces the vendors to be more competitive. That's the exact opposite of what many vendors want, which is for a customer to be locked in forever. I've spent many years in the computer industry, so I'm comfortable with the idea of keeping my customers through superior customer experience, a better product, and also better customer support, taking care of my customers more effectively. So in a, in a way, open standards forces me to be, if you will, honest. It forces me to continue to compete even, even for my existing customers. And that's ultimately a good situation for customers. And it helps the industry to grow. It also facilitates the creation of third-party applications, third-party software, that works with these same standards. If you think about it, think of, think of um, a small software company. It's much harder for that company to justify making its software if it's got to have a different version of it for every single platform that's out there versus there being an open for or a standard format, an open format for data that it can count on and can design its software toward. I feel like you hit multiple points that supports this next question, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyway, just more in a perhaps summary point of view. In your okay. best way, Dave Tapont, how would open standards help organizations? Open standards help organizations because they facilitate and encourage competition. They give organizations the freedom to use anybody's software they want to, which in turn forces those who provide the software to provide the best possible software they can and to support it with the best customer support they can. The competition moves from landing customers in the first place and keeping them within a walled garden to continuously competing for customers because those customers can have the freedom to move to whatever solution works for them. Perfect. 
Finally, you've been strategic in all your moves, whether it's, you know, picking your college to going to your next stop and then founding and the CEO of TeamSnap. So obviously you had to take your time in picking, you know, the perfect partners. You must enjoy your time with United Soccer Coaches. Why did you like partnering with United Soccer Coaches, Dave DuPont? Thanks. I- I'm not sure my wife would agree that I've I've made only strategic decisions. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but uh, our partnerships are important to us, and the reason that I particularly like our partnership with United Soccer Coaches is because you're such a major force for good in the soccer world, and we our interests are aligned. We are delighted to be working with you for that reason. All right, so one part where I think maybe our interests aren't aligned is it looks like, as I research you, that you were part of the running of the Bulls. Is that right? Did you do that? Am I seeing this right? Right. I've done it a few times. The initial time was essentially grew out of a dare at a business school reunion. And then uh, it was a great time, and uh, I've done it twice now running with my son, Gabriel. And what can you tell us about it? I mean, were you close at all to getting hit by a bull? I mean, give us uh, a little side story as we wrap up here. So my advice around running with the Bulls is it's kind of like a football game. You want to stay on your feet. As long as you stay on your feet and don't look at the Bulls, just focus on the goal, which is getting into the arena, you'll be fine. Don't fall down. And the danger is created not so much by the Bulls, they're part of the environment, but more by the people who are kind of going crazy around you. So stay on your feet, keep running, and you'll be fine. All right, obviously you're running well with Team Snap. Why do you love your job so much, Dave? That's my last question. Two reasons. First, it is a delight to provide a product that people know and love. I was recently at a a coach's uh, convention down in Dallas, and many, many coaches came up to me and administrators of organizations and said, you guys are the best. We love you. You make life so easy. My life is Team Snap. If I'm wearing my T-shirt, walking through an airport, my Team Snap T-shirt, people will stop me and tell me how much they love my platform. That never grows old. I really do love that. And secondly, I'm very proud of the fact that we've been able to create a fantastic culture at our company. We've been recognized for three years in a row now as being one of America's best places to work. And that's a function of the fact that we love what we're doing as a group. We hire people that are passionate about sports and about kids especially and making their lives better. We also believe strongly in transparency, honesty, and integrity. And you could argue that that philosophy plays out with this uh, focus now on open standards. We want to play fairly, and we know we can win playing fairly. We think that's best for everyone, including customers, as well as us. Perfect end to an outstanding interview. Dave DuPont, i got to tell you, I love what I do, and I love that Team Snap helps support this United Soccer Coaches podcast and my work in broadcasting as well. Dave, thanks to you and Brett Rose and all of your outstanding employees at Team Snap, and thanks for your time today. Pleasure meeting you on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by your company, Team Snap. Dave, great times. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much for having me, Dean. It was a pleasure. Indeed, and the pleasure was mine. We thank again Brett Rhodes with Team Snap for helping coordinate this interview with Dave DuPont, Ashley Goodrich, Sean Chevrolet, Mike Knipper, and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches. I also want to thank Leslie Gallimore, the president of United Soccer Coaches, trumpeting the horn about the 2026 World Cup coming to North America. And how about Steve Goff, 30 years covering the World Cup, seven World Cups. He's in Russia now. He joins us to talk about what's going on over there and what it also means to have the 
World Cup here in 2026. For all those great people, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you in two weeks right here on another edition of United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Presented by Team Snap. Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help customers save their time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash United.